Annyeonghasunika. That's for the benefit of all the Koreans who are here. It means greetings. And everybody who speaks in the meetings in Korea, they have to start out that way. So it's a Korean lesson for you. I'd like to read this, this, uh, this afternoon in the Gospel of John and chapter 1. It's always nice to read the Word of God when we're in a meeting. You know, I don't see a clock. Oh, there it is. Okay, I can barely see it. So if I go over 3 o'clock, David, yeah. I hope I don't. Anyway, John chapter 1. And we'll read from verse 9. That was the true light, which lighteth every man, that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons or children of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now the Lord will, will bless the reading of his word. The reason I read this little passage today, because we have the word world in it several times. It's a wonderful little passage that speaks about our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Gospel of John, and throughout the Gospel of John, as we all know, the word world, the cosmos is mentioned over and over again. It's a kind of a mystery. Well, really it isn't a mystery. That of all the heavenly bodies, the planets and the stars and the galaxies and so forth, that God's special interest is in this world, the people of this world. And that Christ came into the world we read that today. We read about his coming. He came from above. John tells us that he that has come from heaven is above all. So we know that John's testimony was a wonderful testimony. He saw and he heard and he touched and he was with the Lord Jesus. And he gave this wonderful account and he put his he signed it as it were as an eyewitness and we have it in our hands and so we are completely confident that God has an interest in the people of the whole world irrespective of racial things we, we, we believe actually that Although God has dealt with the nations and he's dealt with the kingdoms of men, we read nothing really about race in the Bible. God sees us as individuals that he 
has an interest in. Uh, we just take a look, quick look at, at verse 10. It says he was in the world. Of course, we read about his coming into the world. It's Christ for every man in verse 9. And in verse 10, he was in the world. That's an amazing thing. It speaks of his incarnation. Neil Armstrong was the first astronaut to set foot on the moon. It's a tremendous thing when you think of it. Uh, how the, they were able to do that several times. And it was a, a, a really amazing scientific uh, achievement. But Neil Armstrong is supposed to have said, <clears throat> it's amazing that man set foot on the moon. But more amazing is that the Son of God set foot on earth. And he was a Christian. And we thank God for that clear testimony. The amazing thing that the Son of God came into our world. And then we have this statement, and the world was made by him. You know, this is something that we need to emphasize in our witnessing today. The main proof of the existence of God to the unconverted is really the existence and the design and the plan of our universe, is what we have in front of us. Sometimes people say, can you prove that there is a God? Well, we say just, you know, your own right hand or your eyes or your ears are pretty good proof. And scientists tell us about the trillions of bytes and bits of information that are in the human DNA, and it would be impossible, really, statistically, for us to have come together in the intricate way that we are, apart from divine power. And so the world was made by him. And yet we have in the next little phrase, the greatest tragedy, that the world knew him not. He was amongst his own creation, and yet he was like the manna that came down at night, way back in Israel's history, and they found it. And they said, what is it? What is this? And so they decided to call it manna. It was manna. What is it? And he was amongst us like that, and the world knew him not. But if we continued reading, we could see the greatest blessing. As many as received him, to them gave he the power, the right, the authority to become the children of God. And so we just read this little passage just to remember God's great interest in the people of the world. Now, I, I should just make a, a disclaimer here that I, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with the word, word labor being used in the same sentence as my name because I, I don't consider what I have done in my life as labor. Uh, I was saved as a young boy back in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And like every other Christian, I think, we've had an interest in spreading the gospel. I once saw a, a, a letter to the editor of, of a newspaper from a professor, and he said, I have really one complaint 
he was a Muslim, he said about these people that I work with. He says, they're forever talking about Christ. They're forever talking about the gospel. He says, I wish that they would quit. I felt like writing a letter in response and say, well, you might as well ask the dogs to quit barking and the ducks to quit quacking. And the, Because Christians normally would like to pass on the blessing that we have found in Christ. And so that's just been my... Uh, life. In 1972, we did have the opportunity as a family to move to South Korea. And we stayed there until 1985. And since then, I have tried to visit South Korea many times. And I've been to North Korea on four different occasions, uh, the last one being in 2009. So I do have an interest in that part of the country. It's almost shocking to say this, but I've been more than 60 times to China. And it's very convenient to go to China from where we live because we live 15 minutes from the airport in Vancouver, and there are about 10 flights a day going to China these days. So it's like the bus. You take the bus, you get on, and 11 or 12 hours later, you're in Beijing or Shanghai, and you can go from there. Now you have a little map here, and uh, it's it's good. Uh, and uh, hang on to it, and uh, take it as a little souvenir from the Midland Park Conference of this year. And uh, as you look at the map, this is a map basically of East Asia, starting with Japan up at the top, on the sort of right hand side, and. I'm not uh, representing Japan, but I'll just tell you this, that there are about 130 assemblies in Japan, and uh, the gospel has been going forth there. Unfortunately, the Christian population, according to statistics, is less than 1%. So the Japanese people are very conservative and very uh, self-satisfied and with their own religion religions and are content to go on without attending to the gospel. But the Japanese Christians are wonderful, wonderful people. They're totally different from the uh, idol-worshipping neighbors in their character, in their demeanor, and in their uh, attitudes. They're different. Japan needs the gospel. And for all the young people here, I would say that if your employment or the Lord calls you to set out in faith to go to Japan, it would be a good place to go. You'd, have, you'd, be, you'd be treated with courtesy. You'd be treated with uh, respect. They, they would, if probably politely, decline. Uh, uh, that's a bad statement. If God is working in their hearts, they would gladly receive their your message that you're taking to them. There are assemblies all over Japan. But when we move across that little body of water to South Korea, it's quite a different situation. South Korea has got many, many, many Christ Christian churches. There are 
dozens and dozens of, of in any district, of buildings, large and small, with red neon crosses. You can see them lit up at night. And from our apartment where we lived, we could count at night maybe 50 crosses just across the, the Han River from us. And the Korean people have taken an interest in the Bible and in the message of the, of the gospel. And along with this, there has been a good assembly work done. Now, I should quickly say that it, 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 although there are many Christian churches, I would say that many of those churches do not have a clear presentation of the gospel. A typical conversation that you might have would be, by the way, you quickly learn, don't ask people if they are Christians because they probably would say, yes, I'm a Christian, which means I'm not a Buddhist or I'm not an atheist. So we, what question could we ask? Well, we could ask them, when we die or before we die, are we able to know where we will be in eternity? That would be a good question to ask. Where we will be in eternity. And many of them would say, Chugo Payahamnida. That would mean you die and then you find out. Well, that's an opening in itself because it's too late. It's too late. And so the whole idea of trusting in works or trusting in religion is rife throughout the Christian community in Korea. Now, it would be very seriously wrong to say that there are absolutely no Christians in those groups. That would be wrong. And as we go on in this little conversation that we're having today, we're going to have to remember that in the end of the, the, end of the day, is God who knows who is who. We can't tell by looking at people. And we can't tell by even speaking with people, in many cases, whether or not they are really saved. This is why Paul said, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe with thine, in thine heart, I think he was speaking about his own conversion in those verses in chapter 10 of Romans. And the reason why I say we don't know is because I remember a conversation that I had with two people from a church. I think they were even church workers. So I asked that question. I said, can we know? And they both came back with the answer, we can know. We can. So the next question is, how can we know? How can we know? And they said, well, it's a, a question of, of faith in Christ who died on that cross for our sins. And then the next question, of course, that you have to ask is, do you know? Do you know? 
Well, I tell you that it was an eye-opener to hear those people. They knew. They knew. They confessed that they, they knew Christ, the Savior. And yet they were standing in front of a building where likely, quite possibly, the pastor would be speaking more about giving offerings and a lot of emphasis on singing and announcements and so forth and very little of the word of God. But in any case, in any case, the gospel has prospered in Korea. Koreans are very avid about uh, spreading the gospel worldwide, spreading the gospel. And so there's a large contingent of Christians from Korea who have gone to every little corner of the world. And they have. I was in the island of Sakhalin years ago, which is off the east coast of Russia. And it was Sunday and uh, the Lord's Day and there was a, a service and the, the missionary there that day was from Korea. So I could understand his, his Korean, although he was translated into, into Russian. And that missionary did not mention at any point in his talk about salvation. And so it's a rather sad story, isn't it, that missionaries will go to the ends of the earth sometimes without the gospel. And I'm afraid that's what happens. But I'm not here to talk just about the religious world. I'd like to speak a little bit about the assembly situation in Korea and the wonderful testimony that many of the Christians have uh, with their relatives and with their friends uh, friendship is a great thing among Korean people and among people, generally speaking, in the Far East. Friendships friend, and, and, and family relationships. We tend, as, as uh, Western people perhaps, to be a little bit more aloof. But a good friend in, in Korea or a good uh, classmate that you've had for years and years, is a, they treasure that. They really do. And uh, they, they love to get together with their old classmates and their friends and their neighbors of years gone by. And this lends itself to evangelism in Korea. Because many times the Korean brethren and sisters are bringing their relatives to the meetings. Either their brother or their mother or their father or some other relative. And that is really the main way that the gospel is spread. It's not so easy to approach people by knocking on the doors and uh, going out and uh, trying to uh, reach people that you have no previous contact with. All of that, that has worked in, in, in many, many lives. But Koreans like to gossip the gospel and to tell others in that way. Now, one thing that we noticed very early in our, in, in our stay in Korea was the, the fact that literature work would be a good way of spreading the gospel. Tracts. And so, in 1976, we started with a monthly magazine for adults, for believers, and a children's magazine. 
a monthly magazine, and then we would do tracks. And uh, I, I think that the most that we ever uh, achieved in numbers was five million tracks in one year. And we've tried to keep maybe about 40 different titles in circulation. And uh, these tracks were often used by people to advertise meetings. So we offered the service of putting the location and the times of meetings and so forth on these tracks. And people would go around giving them out in the district. So it, it caught on. We found out that it was, and then we said, well, why don't we do some books? Why don't we do some books? And so early on, we, we um, started publishing books. And that has been a wonderful way of spreading the truth, scriptural truth, in Korea. Now, I want to add right here that this work has been done by Korean people. It certainly wasn't done by me or any other visitor. It has been done by Korean people. And I cannot speak highly enough of the work that they have done. The manager of our publishing operation is a brother by the name of Kwak Jae-yong, and he lives in the city of Ilsan in uh, Korea, which is uh, a lovely place to live, actually. I think the best city to live in in Korea. Apologies to every other city. But anyway, it's a good place. And the Lord led us there. And Brother Kwok uh, is a, a diligent worker. He, he sits down at his desk at 9 in the morning and he goes through uh, until lunchtime around 1 o'clock, has his lunch and comes back and then is back in his place until 6 o'clock at night. And they have published approximately or even more than 600 titles of uh, books. Uh, one approximately a month now comes out. And often these are, 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 are translated from English into Korean. And many, we've always tried to encourage writers Koreans themselves to write books and to spread the testimony or some gospel subject or um, something that will relate to the Christian life and scripture exposition as well. And uh, I admire, I admire Brother Kwok and his sister, his uh, wife, who is Sister Peck. Uh, you may know or you may not know that our sisters don't take on their husband's family names. So it's Brother Kwok and Sister Peck, and they are man and wife. But they're hardworking, diligent uh, people. And we're happy to have their son and their daughter-in-law and their two grandchildren are with us in our assembly. And uh, so the ties between Korea and Canada are are doing well. Now, I should say that you have seen in your newspapers the economic success of Korea. Uh, 
the growth, this is partly because of the fact that they're hard workers. And uh, another factor in this is the close association that South Korea has had with the United States ever since the 1950s until now. There is no question that Korea has benefited tremendously from its association with the United States. Now, newspapers and media outlets are not in the habit of talking about success. They're in the habit of talking about uh, troubles more than anything else. And um, that, that, sells, that sells papers and so forth. But Korea has done well. It's a, it's a blessing. It's a blessing in, in one way. The standard of living has, has gone up, no doubt about it. And uh, everybody from grandmothers to, to kindergarten children have got a cell phone. Uh, and, and they've got uh, every other gadget that you could possibly think of. The subways are, are quiet these days. People aren't talking to each other because they're too busy watching TV on their uh, mobile on the subway and so forth. And there must be billions of cell phones and text messages a day. But this, sadly, has turned the people away from thinking of more important things in some ways. The time was when, uh, years ago, we could stand in front of uh, a, a railway station, for example, Seoul Station, and people would literally grab the tracks out of, out of our hands. They would, they would, they would, they, they'd see something going on over there, and they'd race over and take a track. Now, hardly any interest at all in taking a track from someone who is standing on the street giving them out. Our materialism is, is, a, is a blessing, no question. All sorts of advancements. But it's also dulled our spiritual uh, interests. And, and, and I'm sorry to say, speaking just for myself, it's so easy to spend time uh, doing things that really are not very profitable and neglecting more important things, such as the reading of the Word of God and the meditation thereon and in prayer. It cuts into our time, and it makes us just a little bit less connected to those around us. Now, I'm going to say a few things about North Korea now for a few moments. It's a very sad thing, actually, that uh, Korea, uh, the Korean peninsula, as you can see from your maps, it's a, it's a peninsula surrounded on three sides by water. And uh, on the northern end of it is the big country of China. But North Korea has got a population of about 25 million people, whereas South Korea has a population of about 50 million people. Together, that's 75, 75 million. But since the Second World War, the country has been divided. And 
It's a very complicated situation in some ways, and yet it's a very simple situation in other ways. The South Korean people, the unbelievers, for sure, many of them have no desire whatsoever for unification. They would look at it as a burden of taking on a huge responsibility for 25 million people, and they more or less would say they're just better off just to be over there and we'll look after ourselves. The real problem, I, I asked a, a colleague of mine once uh, there, I said, how long do you think it will be before uh, South and North Korea will be united? And he said, well, he said, we had a period of history in Korea called the Three Kingdom Period. And he said, it lasted for 500 years. He says, we have only got two now, and we've only been at it for about 50 or 60 years, so we've probably got a long, long time to go to get united. It was a kind of little joke that he was telling. But the real issue, I think, is the Chinese. The Chinese do not want 75 million people in a united country on their borders. Because they say, well, you know, the United States is such a huge influence that uh, we'll have the Americans right on our border and we'd like to keep them back. So we'll just use North Korea as a buffer. And that is what they're doing. They're giving them enough help uh, just so that North Korea doesn't completely collapse. They get, a, they get, they get help from, from China but they don't get enough to really prosper. So there's widespread hunger in North Korea. And you see it. If you could see a group of five or six North Koreans in an airport, where you, you do sometimes if you're in Beijing, you can see five or six of them standing together, and they're all very short. They're all very short. Their growth has been stunted through malnutrition. They, they, uh, this is not really a, a fact that needs to be given in, in a, a Christian missionary meeting, but the, the, the uh, shortest acceptable soldier in the North Korean army is four foot eight inches. So if you are four foot eight inches or taller, you could join the North Korean army. But if you're four foot eight inches or, lower, or shorter, you couldn't. It just gives you the idea that, that uh, rickets and growth stunting and all sorts of malnutrition diseases and conditions are rife in North Korea. But the worst thing, the worst thing is that the gospel cannot go forth publicly in North Korea. I uh, was there, and I had some fridge magnets, and uh, I, I looked this way and, and that way, and I didn't see anybody around, so I stuck a fridge magnet with John 3 and 16 in Korean on the fridge, and when I got back on the little bus that we were using, uh, the minder 
I held up the fridge magnet and he said, uh, whose is this? Well, I had to say it was mine. And he said, have you got any more of these? And I said, yeah, I have, I have uh, two or three in my pocket. And so he asked me for the, the fridge magnets and I gave them to him. And he says, now don't, don't give out any more of these or don't leave them anywhere at all without my permission. Uh, I didn't tell him I had 200 more in my bag in, in the hotel. But he didn't ask about my bag, actually. He was asking. So they, the thing was that somebody found that magnet and gave it to him. You never know who you're talking to. That's the problem. You don't know who you're talking to. There's are, there are informers everywhere. Now, I, I wasn't the least bit concerned about it because all I would get is a, a you know, free ticket home or, or asked to leave. But for anybody who is trying to witness for Christ, they would have to be very careful about who it is they were talking to. And, and yet I think that within families, within families, there must be, there must be times when um, these people are talking about the gospel and we'll find out someday what the actual results were. Now, I'm just going to quickly move on to China for a few minutes. China is, is a vast country uh, country, the first thing that you're impressed with when you step off the airplane in China is the number of people. The number of people is just, it's just striking to see the tremendous population. 1.3 plus billion people. Unimaginable as far as we, this tremendous country, this country with a, an interesting history and an interesting history in the gospel, really. The Chinese characters are, are, are very old. They go right back. By the way, I just want to say one thing. If you ever ask a Chinese person, try it, who has come from China, and there are lots of them in the United States now, how old is your civilization? Or how old is human civilization on earth? How old is it? They will always say 5,000 years. Try it. Just try it out of interest. You meet somebody who is from, and they will always say 5,000 years. They learned this in school. And so it's a great starting point with Chinese people. 5,000 years, you say, well, you know, it's, it's, it's almost the same as what the Bible teaches us. Almost the same. Five or 6,000 years ago, our universe was created. Now, they might not go with you there because they've been taught evolution. But there is uh, the remnants in China of the gospel work that was carried on by faithful servants of the Lord years ago. You know, the Chinese characters, the Chinese writing is very interesting. It all has a, uh, a story. Every character has a story behind it. 
It's an idea graph. They don't have an alphabet. They don't. They have these these characters. And the the one for come, the word for come, written in the traditional way. You have to write it the traditional way, not the simplified way that they use today. But they know about the traditional character is a cross. It's a cross. And then beside the cross, there are two people. And then on the cross, there's another person. Now just stop and think about it. That's the word for come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. That word come would be a cross, two men, and another man. So we tell the story, three crosses, standing side by side. Oh, what a sight sublime. Two for their own transgressions died. The middle one for mine. And we can teach the gospel right from that. The, the word for righteousness is a, is a lamb. And underneath the lamb is the word for me, I. And so if I am under the lamb, I would be a righteous man. That would be that character and the character for man beside it. It's amazing. Those characters are approximately 2,000 years old. So it would seem that at the time of Christ, some of these concepts were getting into the language of the Chinese people. An ark is a boat with eight people in it. A boat, the number eight, and then a character for mouth. Eight people. And down through the years, the gospel has come. Now, I just want to quickly tell you this, that approximately 70% of the population of China live in villages. We've heard about Beijing or Shanghai or Guangzhou or some of these big cities. But really, the real China is in the villages. And I had a man tell me a couple of years ago in Vancouver, he was not a believer, but he does a lot of traveling through the country. Actually, interestingly enough, he, he, he's, uh, he owns a vineyard in the province of Shandong, which I see is on the map here. And he, 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 he knows, he, he graduated from an agricultural college. And he told me, you know, he said, wherever you go in the countryside, he said there are groups of Christians. He said they don't have buildings. They don't have pastors. They don't have an, uh, anything official. But he says they have Bibles. And they sing hymns and they pray. And many of them are women. And I've had the opportunity to visit these villages. And we had meetings. In one place, I said, let's talk about the four Gospels. This was through interpretation, actually. They spoke a dialect. You know, we have four Gospels. And so I just simply went through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the characteristics of the, the four Gospels, all speaking about the same person, but different points of view and so forth and so on. 
Oh, they listen so avidly to that. And then we said, okay, let's sing. Let's sing a hymn. So they, they were off tune, and it was really, really not very great singing. So I said, let's practice this hymn. We'll sing it a few times. We'll sing it a few times. And so we did. And then we prayed. And then I said, now, is there anybody here that would like to tell us how they became a Christian? And they will go on at great length. And somewhere in that, in that testimony, there is liable to be something about being sick and praying about the, this illness and praying about this sickness and eventually be, being cured. And they would say, well, it was around that time that I became a Christian. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is for this reason. I have come away many times and am totally puzzled by this whole thing. Is this person truly a child of God? Have they had a conversion experience? I would like to think so. I would like to hope so. That God is working. Now, there are assemblies in China. My time is finished, so I cannot speak about them today. But there are assemblies gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus unto him. And in their simplicity, they're going on. I remember the first time I visited an assembly in Jinan, which is a city of 8 million. And the brother who gave thanks for the emblems that day, he thanked the Lord for the bread and the wine in one, 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 one prayer. And I, afterwards I said, you know, I said, let's look at Luke in the Gospel of Luke. I said, you know, the Lord Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks. And then he took the wine and he gave thanks. I said, they're separate. Oh, he says, you know what? I never noticed that before. I said, have you ever seen a breaking of bread in another assembly? He says, no, I never have. But he says, from now on, from now on, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do that that way. We're going to have the give thanks for the bread, give thanks for the cup. And sure enough, the next time I visited that assembly, that's exactly what they did. My time's gone. Thank you.